Hello, everyone, again. Thanks so much for joining the Binance Simpler and AMA once again. So we have been uh, on uh, quite on um, on a roll recently with AMAs every week for you guys. Uh, once again, do let us know where you guys are tuning in from, what countries, what time zones you guys are in. And very, very excited to have um, Eve La Rose on the AMA with us today, who is the CEO and founder of the EOS Network Foundation. So, yeah, Eve, um, if would you like to give a brief introduction about yourself? Sir, thank you, Larry. Thank you for having me on. Pretty excited about doing this today. It's pretty great. So yes, my name is, is Yves Lahose. I'm the CEO and founder of the EOS Network Foundation. I've been in the crypto space now for over 10 years. I started mining Bitcoin very, very early on. And although everybody asked me, and no, I don't have Bitcoin from, from that period of time from more than 10 years ago, but I did start in the space very early on. And over the years, I guess I kind of came in, came back into the space, but since 2000. 17 i've been full-time now in in blockchain started early on as well as a block producer on eos before the mainnet launch in 2018 and in 2021 in the summer of 2021 is when the network essentially uh came to consensus on creating a foundation and so i've been leading the foundation ever since uh, as a foundation is very different than other foundations and other ecosystems because it's really the only one that I know of that is born out of the community and that wasn't launched or appointed at the beginning of the network. So we can get into that a little bit later when we go in, in the history. But yeah, essentially I've been leading the foundation ever since. It's been a little over a year and a half and we've seen a, a big resurgence in EOS because of that. And I'm excited to talk about it today. So EOS is currently live on the Binance Academy Learn and Earn campaign. So if you guys are interested, uh, feel free to jump over after the MA, of course, uh, to to, to re, uh, recap on on what you've learned today. Uh, and there's also a quiz and a reward there for you guys to claim. So without further ado, uh, let's jump right into the AMA. So first question from uh, MD MD Jew Bayer seventy one. Sorry if I sabotaged the name. Um, what are the key features of the EOS network and how do they make it unique? But I guess a, a more overview, like what is EOS network? Um, and then we can go into like the, the uniqueness of it. Sure. So, I mean, EOS is, is a layer one gen three blockchain, right? So it, it, it launched in 2018, but essentially it was, it was built over 2017, 2000 or early 2018 as a layer one. Obviously, it's capable of running smart contracts, but if you put yourself back at that time in 2017, 2018, essentially Gen 3 layer 1 blockchains, which now there are multiple of, were quite new. And so at the time, the Gen 2 is like, like Ethereum, the most prominent one, obviously, were hitting some scalability issues. You know, CryptoKitties took down Ethereum for a period of time. And so there was this new, I guess, wave of blockchains that were coming about and the big focus of that was to finally try and unlock the scalability and the performance of blockchains so that theoretically the blockchains could be used for real live applications because as we all know 
there's some limitations what what you could do on blockchain versus a centralized database essentially so when eos came in one of the big features and still to this date is the performance this idea that you'd be able to actually run thousands and thousands hundreds of thousands of applications each of them running on the blockchain different parts of of your application and eos facilitated uh that and so that high performance that high throughput what does that mean so just to, to give you a sense of scale EOS is still the only blockchain that's ever achieved more than 100 million transactions per day. I think it topped out at around 124, 125 million transactions per 24-hour period for a few months straight. And to put that in perspective, in a single day during that period of time, EOS was making more transactions per 24-hour volume, uh, per 24-hour, sorry, than, for example, Bitcoin and Ethereum combined for an entire year. So it's, you know, we're talking about massive, massive scale compared to what existed previously. And we're also talking about now f almost five years ago. So obviously that's increased ever more from there. So you've got high performance, but then with that high performance, what's important for EOS or what, what's a unique feature as well is to keep that cost low. So there's think back as well, right? You're, you're thinking of gas fees at the time where the network gets congested or the laza usage of the network. And if you as a user now, in order to, to, to make transactions on the network, your cost increases significantly, EOS wanted to address that as well. And so it's a very, very low cost. We're talking about negligible costs, sub pennies, basically negligible because the applications can even abstract that away from the user and essentially pay your quote unquote gas cost on your behalf. So high throughput, low cost, very flexible. That's one thing that's really important too is this idea that, again, putting yourself back in 2017, 2018, whenever networks wanted to upgrade, it typically required, and still to this date on, on some of them, requires a hard fork in the sense of splitting up new token, having to split up the communities, having to... Doing an upgrade is, is quite tedious. It's very difficult. So what EOS does as well, that is quite unique in the way that it does it, is that essentially EOS hard forks or soft forks continuously. Every time there's an upgrade, the end user doesn't see that. Think of it like if you're running Windows and you've got a new patch or a mobile application, you've got a new update. All you do is just upgrade. You don't need to redo your profile. You, you know, There's no new token in this sense. There's no... There's nothing to do on the user. The network itself upgrades. It now has new features, new functionality, new performance, whatever it may be. The end user sees none of that. They just see a better product. So EOS has the capacity of doing that, and it's done so on multiple occasions over the last couple of years. And then that's more the uh, the protocol layer. And then on top of that, then you start adding the, let's say, second layer solutions, the functions, the initiatives, and we'll get into those later, but Yield Plus, Recover Plus, IBC, EVM, all of those extra things. Yeah, super exciting. <laughs> super exciting stuff. Uh, um, I think that we, we would definitely want to dive deeper into today. But yeah, I think generally you mentioned um, 1 million transactions per day going on for a few 100 months. million. Uh, more than 100, 100 million. million. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I sorry, not hundred million. date is something I think today uh, is still around maybe six, seven, eight million per day, which is still uh, more than Bitcoin in an entire year type of thing. It's it's incredibly performant. Wow, so hundred million doing some quick maths here on my um, Mac. That would be around a thousand TPS. That's uh, consistent, sustained. Yeah, the the okay. maximum that we've achieved, 
and this is a few years back, was around 4,000 transactions per second. Obviously, it depends on the type of transaction, right? So simple transfers require less computation. And so you can do more of those. And complex transactions, especially now, as we're seeing more swaps, more complex smart contracts, more complex applications in general, then they take more computation. So that number goes down. But yes, we've uh, you know, we've achieved for a period of sustained period of time, you know, over a thousand transactions per second, no problem. Got it. So second question, uh, man, uh, right, I'm not going to pronounce it. I'm, I'm a huge <laughs> fan of EOS. Is there anything special happening with EOS lately? Yeah. So I mean, along that line of that, there's a couple of things, but I'll just pick one because along the line of what we were talking about right now, performance, um, one of the things that EOS uh, wanted to work on and ensure that it can have, again, this idea of scalability, even if we're talking about a hundred something million transactions per, per day, that's still nowhere near replicating what currently exists in the centralized space, right? So if you wanted to have a game like Call of Duty or any type of, of large-scale application, let's say in the real world that we're seeing right now that is not leveraging blockchain, it needs to scale well beyond that. Even though that looks impressive, even though that's that there's nobody better than that in the current blockchain space right now, it's still nowhere near where it needs to be for blockchain to be mainstream. And so EOS's approach at scaling in a way infinitely is through a process called IBC, so inter-blockchain communication. It's this idea that one, one instance of the network, I'm, I'm trying to choose my terms so that it's simple, it, let's say one network, one EOS or one, you know, one network can do, let's say, over 100 million transactions per second. I think today, if we really wanted to, it'd likely be around two, 300 million. That's still not enough. What if we could replicate where you could have multiple networks all talking with one another with very low or negligible latency? So there's really no difference in between them so that you'd be able to scale infinitely from a parallel point of view. So if you need more throughput, all you do is you spin up another network and you spin up another network with their own validators and with their own advantages, perhaps even different consensus mechanisms. But the idea is then those two networks can communicate with one another almost instantly. So think of EVM or think of Cosmos has IBC, that type of thing where different networks can talk to one another, but doing so in a way that's trustless and doing so in a way that's almost instant, where really it's for the end user perspective, it's the same as if it was the same network. So you maybe as a developer, you as an application or as a business, know that in the background, you're actually, there are three networks powering your application. But for the end user, all they see is one seamless experience. And so EOS just deployed Antelope IBC uh, about two, three weeks ago. And basically we now have the capacity to have horizontal scalability in a trustless fashion no oracles, no third party in between. It's completely trustless. That's already live. That's already function, functioning. And so that's something pretty special that's that's ongoing right now. Awesome. So a quick recap there. IBC is inter-blockchain um, communication yes. protocol? Yeah. Okay. And so that, inter-blockchain that, communication. Yeah. Okay. And that enables that um, having several, so you, developers can launch chains based on the application. So it's sort of, is it similar to to like recently there's like the the talk on Ethereum um, 2.0 or, or Ethereum sharding where 
kind of like yeah kind of sharding so think of it like two separate chains that can now talk to one another but they do so in a trustless fashion so there's no oracle or no third party in between because we've seen a lot of hacks and 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 flaws in code typically yeah happen with bridges exactly and so think that there's no bridge there's no third party in between there's no oracle and so it's basically just linking two chains together so if one chain doesn't give you the capacity that you're looking for, for some reason, because it just doesn't have enough throughput, or you need more than that, while well, you spin up another chain, you link them together. What we haven't seen yet, because this is very new, we're talking about pioneering tech, front of the line, this is, is brand new, how applications and how users will leverage that tech is, is what we haven't really seen yet, but the function is there. So think that perhaps there's going to be an application that has making this number up, you know, 50 million users. And so 50 million accounts are needed. Maybe if they deploy those 50 million accounts on the main chain, there's just too high of a cost or for whatever reason, they just can't justify it or whatever. They could maybe deploy those accounts on a side chain, but those accounts essentially be linked together. So it's the same as if they were in the main chain, but they're now saving resources perhaps on the main chain and they're deploying their accounts elsewhere, they're deploying their capital elsewhere, they're deploying the liquidity elsewhere, whatever it may be, but all of those talk with one another in a, in a seamless, trustless fashion. So it enables applications to be able to scale horizontally, essentially infinitely. Yeah, so we do have a great question from the live audience. Binyashin888 uh, asks, so you mentioned there's also an IBC on Cosmos. Yeah. And what's the difference or is it the same or what's the difference? And then let's maybe touch a little bit on what is Antelope uh, for those that aren't, those sure. aren't familiar. So that's a really good question. And so IBC is re really just a generic term. And so, you know, IBC just means inter-blockchain communication, this capacity for two completely separate chains to be able to talk one another and to, and to essentially be linked to one another, right? So Cosmos dubbed their IBC, Cosmos IBC. Ours is called Antelope IBC. Essentially, I'm, I'm not going to go into the technical details, but high level view is pretty much the same. There are some slight differences, but essentially it's the same. It's the same concept. And the reason why it's called IB, Antelope IBC in our case is that EOS runs on the Antelope core stack or the, the Antelope software. So when EOS launched, the software was called EOSIO. That software was rebranded last summer to Antelope. And the reason for that is we created a coalition between different chains that were leveraging the software. So there are four networks that got together, Telos, UX, WAX, and EOS. We got together, we formed a coalition. We started deploying capital in a common treasury to work on protocol level features that were inherent to all of us that we all wanted to see upgrade or you know that we all saw value in. And one of the first things that we saw value in was that capacity to link the chains together. And one of the teams that was working on that for years, UX Network, so one of the four coalition members, had been working on IBC. They essentially completed that process. We deployed that. And, and so we called it Antelope IBC because it comes from the Antelope Coalition, the, the so underlying software that EOS runs on, that WAX runs on, UX and Telos run on is called Antelope. And so it's called Antelope IBC. Got it. And uh, could you touch a little bit more on what um, um, Antelope Coalition is? Sure. So it's it's a it's a group of four separate chains that were all leveraging the same software. So when so the EOS underlying software 
is open source. It's anybody can leverage it. And so there are multiple networks running the, the software, the underlying software, uh, because they saw the power in the technology itself. So they weren't leveraging the EOS token. They weren't part of the EOS network. They just took the software that was open source, modified it for their own needs, launched their own networks. Maybe they even changed the consensus mechanisms. They've got their own use cases, their own communities and such. Four of those, arguably the four largest ones that were leveraging the software, got together roughly a year ago. Now we're, we're coming on the year anniversary. This was an initiative that, that the ENF led. And we essentially reached out to those partners after, because these networks had been running for four years, reached out to those partners and started working together, right? Previous to this, the foundation didn't exist. So there was no body, there was no mechanism for EOS anyway, to be represented by a foundation. So when the foundation was created, that was the first, one of the first things we did, we reached out to the other networks that were leveraging the same software as us. And we started talking, we opened dialogue and we you know we were we're essentially all competitors but we also all in the back end are leveraging the same software and so instead of going at it separately in terms of adding features to the protocol adding more developers adding more functions to the software what if we went at it together for certain things so we remain competitors we all have our own flavors of the software but the underlying software, what if there are certain things that we all wanted and that if we pooled the resources together and pooled our, our developers together, that we could essentially you know, do a one plus one equals three type of thing. And so that started about a year ago. We created that coalition of those four networks. So Telos, UX, and WAX alongside EOS. And we started pooling resources together, pooling capital together hiring developers together and working on new functionalities, new functions that all of us wanted. So instead of the going at it separately, going at it together, determining what those priorities are, determining what we all had in common and what we could leverage while also remaining competitors and, and, and remaining separate, right? And so the Enthilp Coalition was born. One of the first things we did was to prioritize what we wanted, but another key part was taking that EOS IO software that I mentioned that belonged to the previous entity block one in terms of IP. We rebranded that. We did a hard fork. We essentially upgraded this, the software. Each network has upgraded respectively as well. I believe WAX is the last one and they should be doing so eminently. EOS went through its hard fork last September. And essentially now everybody's running on that community owned software. So it's the software that was originally built by block one that was hard forked. Now the repo itself is owned by the community. It's now developed by the community. It's funded by the community, funded by these four different chains, predominantly EOS, but everybody contributes in their way. And, um, this is, this is basically the coalition. It's a group of four that are competitors, but have similarities and work together on, in, on certain things. So the IBC is launched, uh, uh, from the antelope, uh, yep. uh coalition. Yep. And so when you say, you, uh, when, 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 uh, developers or, or teams, they, they meet, uh, um, capacities, they can spin up a new chain, um, meaning that on uh, on the IBC, they can spin up a new EOS chain or uh, in terms of a uh, <laughs> couple of things there. Let, let me try to unpack it. So um, 
essentially the, the coalition is only four chains right now. There's four main chains with their own market caps and their own tokens, their own developers, their own communities. When the coalition gets together and it meets on a weekly basis, it determines priorities that are inherent to all of them. Hey, we all want to lower the finality. Currently, finality on EOS is three minutes, give or take. So one of the priorities that we've laid out is to lower that, on, and we'll talk about it later, but this, this concept called instant finality, where we're going to lower that to a few seconds. So that's one of the priorities that was highlighted. All right, we all want that. The four of us all want that. Even though we're competitors, if we had this in the protocol, the underlying software, that would be a benefit to all of us, to all of our communities, all of our tokens, all of our, our, our different basically chains. And so there are certain things that we all want. And if we go at it together, there's typically there should be a lower cost. There should be cost savings because we're all pitching in instead of just one of us doing it at it ourselves. The advantage there as well is then that new function that is being built is now built in the protocol, the software itself at the, at the deepest level that anybody now going forward that uses that software now has that new advantage. However, when we talk about IBC, for example, think of it like, what is it? Wormhole has a bridge. Think of it like the whitelisting of Wormhole. Everybody could theoretically spin up the bridge. The code is there. People can use it. But the one of the values is to be officially whitelisted by Wormhole to be in that special group of, hey, we've whitelisted you. You're part of this group. You now have these extra benefits, essentially, that you wouldn't have marketing, support, whatever it may be, if, if you weren't in this group. So with IBC, that's essentially what we've done between these four chains. Anybody, part of what we, what we did with the foundation and with, with Antelope is this functionality of IBC is now open source. Anybody who's using the Antelope software has now, if they want, the possibility of doing IBC with anybody else. But one of the special sauces or one of the advantages is if you're in the coalition, you're whitelisted within the four chains that can talk with one another. So what we've seen is certain applications are leveraging the function, but they're not necessarily in the coalition because it provides value for them as an application, provides value for their community. But if they want to get those extra benefits, becoming part of that coalition is, is something that they might want to do. So right now there's only four, but we do envision, and we, we've talked about this on multiple occasions, what would it look like if other chains wanted to join the coalition? So think about it like you mentioned earlier, a sharding, or if we talk about parachains, for example, in Polkadot, this idea that in others, they started off centralized and they decentralized over time. EOS and the Antelope ecosystem went about it the opposite direction because the foundation didn't exist at the time. We started off decentralized and we're now getting together over time. So it's the complete opposite. So we're seeing multiple networks, all competitors that have existed for years, come together and create something that didn't exist before, instead of having one that is now splitting up into multiple. So the assembly, instead of the splitting up, it's, it's a completely different approach. And that's just the reality of, of the, you know, where, where we're at. Yeah, thanks so much for the detailed answer. I think um, this, in, in some parts, also gives an answer to to what are uh, to the next question. So Noman asked, what are the advantages of building on EOS networks? And for the developer teams out there, um, what are some of the unique offerings that EOS has? So like I mentioned, you know, high performance, low transactional fees, 
developer-friendly environment, scalable smart contracts, flexible design, flexible governance model as well. So those are all things that I've, I've mentioned. But then on top of that, what makes the EOS network in a way unique or powerful for users and, and developers is that we have multiple initiatives in order to be able to help fund either you know, individual users, businesses, developers, large entities. So we've got funding mechanisms and then we've got non-financial support as well. So this is one that I think is really important that people often overlook. Receiving funding from a network is great. It's very important. Obviously, it incentivizes, it aligns those incentives and incentivizes developers as well and gives them something to, to basically to eat and to pay rent at the end of the month. That's very important. But the other side of the coin, which is often forgotten, is after you've received funding, what else do you have access to in terms of support? Do you have access to marketing? Do you have access to legal? Do you have access to any kind of hand-holding for you know, help of deploying of your applications and the support of your applications? Do you have access to libraries? Do you have access to other mechanisms to leverage communities? Right. So all these extra non-financial support components, EOS has very, very strong frameworks around that. A lot of initiatives that have taken underway. Do you also have access to resources in case something happens to your application, in case there's a hack? Are there any initiatives in the ecosystem that in a way provide an insurance layer and or or any type of, of recovery and i guess we'll we'll talk about that too eos has a lot of that as well so the community is extremely strong the support is extremely strong and a big part of that is the eos community is very resilient because of its history because of where it comes from it has developed an extremely resilient extremely unified and strong community base of developers, of users, of node operators, bar none. Like this is one of its, its, its greatest superpowers outside of all of the technical advantages. Yeah, I'm sure um, we do have some pre-collected questions on, on like the, the recover fund that you've mentioned. And also like you, you touched a lot on the non-financial support. Mm. And I guess one of the, uh, 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 um, the big topics regarding change is EVM compatible, compatibility. Mm. And so I think a great question from the comments, uh, G Lo uh, asked, what is e EOS EVM and how it works? Uh, great name, by the way. I'm not sure it's Jalu or G Lo or what great name. So EOS EVM, yes, it is currently running on testnet. It's based on Silkworm integration that is, you know, pioneering with Ethereum. The idea is that this will launch by the end of March, early April. So it's it's quite imminent on mainnet. And EOS EVM is very similar to other EVMs in the sense that it's full RPC compatible from an Ethereum developer's perspective. Essentially, it's it's kind of a point and click, simple, double click, you're done type of thing. There's no, you know, there's, you point your MetaMask, point your API, that's it. You deploy your smart contract. There's nothing for you to do uh, that is difficult or, or any kind of, or barrier to jump in that is extraordinary. So if you're used to deploying on other EVMs, no difference there. From a user perspective as well, that's a huge advantage because if you're used to the Ethereum ecosystem and you want to come in the EOS ecosystem through that, that EVM layer, your user experience is flawless. There's no difference. If you're used to using MetaMask, same thing, no difference. And so in that sense, it's it's the same as, as others. One of the advantages though, and what's different is that the underlying protocol though is EOS. And so when we talked about all of that 
those inherent throughput performance advantages that now becomes available to those Ethereum developers uh, and by, by indirect then to, to those users, it's, you know, so the, the low cost, the high throughput. And, and I guess when we're talking about more, cause if we're talking about EVM, typically we're going to talk about more complex transactions. So the swaps per second is something that we've seen being talked about more in that in, in the last year or so is this idea that a transaction is usually not just a regular transaction. And so when layer ones typically tout their performance and their speed, they talk in, they, they speak in TPS and we've seen those numbers now go quite high and every chain, you know, competes on the highest number, but essentially that's not really representing real world applications, real world applications are complex transactions. And so a swaps per second is, is, is a better metric that we've seen that people are starting to, 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 to take at heart. So Farfly Dragonfly Capital, sorry, did research last year. And they started talking about this concept of swaps per second. And then when we compare swaps per second on EVN networks, EOS by far is, is in the lead. And so I think that that research highlighted that the closest competitor was around two to 300 swaps per second. EOS in its previous iteration of testnet with five second blocks, which is now back down to one second was doing around eight to 900 swaps per second. So the idea is that we should be able to see roughly double that or so by the time we, we launch on Maymet. So between 1600 to 2000, give or take swaps per second, which is leaps and bounds faster than the co closest competitors. Now the functionality remains the same. So this idea of EVM remains the same. The difference is higher throughput. What does that mean for the end user? Well, if the network is not running at congestion all the time, that means that the cost is inherently lower. And that's the big difference with EOS. What we've seen just with the main you know, protocol layer, when you're just deploying directly on EOS, one of the advantages is that you can have microtransactions. So we saw last year with NFT summer and play to earn type of games, et cetera, with GameFi starting, we saw that a lot of users, especially in, in areas where, you know, we're not talking about the million dollar NFT where you're fine with paying your hundred dollar gas fee, just paid a million dollars for an NFT. That's a negligible cost. However, if you're talking about you know, mainstream adoption, this idea that the majority of users, the majority of end users are not going to be doing million dollar NFT transactions. They're going to be doing, think of it like steam. If you're, you're playing games here on steam, the majority of your NFTs or your in-game assets will be one cent, five cent, whatever it may be. You can't have a $10 transaction for a one cent asset. And so you need the capacity for the majority of users to have sub sub penny transactional costs. And that's really where that comes in is this idea that EOS always wants to be at the forefront of being there for mainstream adoption, because at some point we do believe that blockchain will inherently be leveraged and be used by more and more applications and ensuring that you're there at that time to be able to capture the most amount of users as possible that can actually leverage the functionality of blockchains is very important for us. So keeping the cost extremely low is very important. And in order to achieve, so you need to obviously have a lot of throughput, a lot of capacity so that you're never really running the network at capacity. You're always lower than capacity. I think a quick point you mentioned that, that, um, swap per second is a more, um, relevant metric in terms of evaluating a blockchain. So I think for most users, um, that are just into blockchain, maybe have heard of TPS because that's the most used 
uh, a metric that we hear, especially comparing with, um, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, or even Web2, like Visa transactions, if we were to look at um, yeah. normal financial transactions. Then we heard about, I think um, sometimes uh, we hear about um, time to finality. So yes. could you quickly break down on like what the differences are between these three metrics or, or if there are any similarities? Sure. And I'll try to do it without going into too much technical detail. So transactions per second, quite simple. And so it's basically just at the lowest amount, the easiest transaction. Let's talk about, let's say a simple transfer. So I'm sending you EOS tokens. That would, it's maybe not the simplest transfer, but it's one of the simplest ones. How many of those can I do in a simple second, in, in one second, right? So you, you mentioned Visa, for example, that's what people typically use as an example. Yeah. Well, Visa, I don't recall what the number is. Maybe you do. I think it's 6,000 per second yeah. or something like that. Uh, or a little bit lower than that. Okay. Yeah. So the, this idea of if you, if Visa wanted to leverage the blockchain, well, it would need that capacity. Otherwise, blockchains can't even run the simple use case of Visa, for example, right? So that's, I think, why people gravitated early on around that transactions per second, because it was a concrete something that people can understand, right? Visa this does this amount of transactions per second. Blockchains need to at least be able to do that. Otherwise, you can't even, because the original use case is basically just transferring asset value, yeah. right? Bitcoin. So if you can't even do that, how are you going to even, you know, fill out this potential use case? So transactions per second, quite, quite easy. On that, though, you mentioned something else that's important is time to finality. Without going into, into too much detail, there are different types of finality, so deterministic or probabilistic. But regardless of this, how long does it take until the transfer is confirmed on the other end and that there's no doubt that it's done, right? And so in a traditional financial system, it's been improving over the last couple of years, but it's still T plus two, T plus five, between two and five days. What that means is that I send you a bank wire, I, I transfer you money into your bank account, it typically takes between two to five days until both our financial institutions can close up that transaction. Hey, Larry, I sent you $5. You might actually receive it the you know on the same day or the following day, but in the back end, it's really because your, your bank is giving you a credit of $5. They haven't really confirmed that they've really received the $5 and the $5 really left my account. That typically takes between two to five days, which is extremely long. Bitcoin came about and that reduced it to 60 minutes. That's huge when you think about it, right? From five days to 60 minutes is a massive, massive leap, but you're limited at about three to four transactions per second, right? So you're you're going from just Visa, let's say 6,000 per second, almost instant finality, to now 60 minutes and only a few of them. Ethereum comes about, it does, what's the number, around 18, 15. 15 to 20, yeah. Yeah, 15, give or take. And so, all right, much better than Bitcoin. Now you can start doing things on the network as well. So deploying smart contracts. So think of it like you can deploy programs, you can deploy code. And the blockchain can run that code. So you can do things with it. There's an if-then that's possible. And, and it lowers that down from 60 minutes to, let's say, 10 to 12 minutes, give or take. Still kind of long, though. If you're if you're going to Starbucks and you want to buy your coffee, you're not going to wait there 12 minutes before the guy at the, at the counter gives you your cup. And like, right, we're good. We got your money. You're fine, right? So still limitations there. EOS has a finality of 
give or take three minutes. And so still quite long though, you're not going to wait your three minutes. When I say three minutes though, it's really the transaction pretty much completes instantly. But before you get the finality that let's say T plus five type of thing, it's about three minutes. EOS is working right now on, so EOS, there's an iteration of EOS a few years back that brought that down to three seconds. So it was, it was a chain called BOSS, B-O-S, and it brought that down to three seconds, which means after three seconds, the transaction was finalized. There's no more doubt as to whether or not the funds have transferred or the transaction is complete or whatever, whatever's done that it's, that it's, that it can be validated is over. EOS is now working on, on what we call instant finality. So this is another initiative from the coalition that's going to bring down this 180 second finality, three minutes, give or take, to let's say two to five seconds. Like depends on the complexity of the transaction. I'd say the majority of the transactions will be one to two seconds. Some more complex ones will be, let's say, on the five second range type of thing. And so when you power, when you add then the IBC that we talked about before, with this concept of instant finality, now you can deploy multiple chains that can speak to one another and they reach finality within you know, a matter of seconds, very you know, one or two seconds type of thing. Now you get to see from a user perspective that you can start leveraging the blockchain for Visa or for whatever type of utility that you can think of. And the blockchain in the backend can actually handle that and can reach finality, can give you that confirmation that yes, it's done almost instantly. It's, it's from a user perspective, it's instant. You click, it's done basically. By the time you even think about it, it's already finalized. So that's the other metric, it's, it's time to finality. And I'm not sure if you talked about it. Oh, we talked about swaps per second. Yeah. Those swaps per second, this is a little bit more complex. So we've been talking about a simple transfer, right? I send you a certain amount of tokens. That's pretty simple in terms of code lines of code and complexity of code that's very very simple when we talk about swaps we're not talking about way more lines of code more complex transactions you're doing something in a game or in application and there's a lot of different pieces there so it requires more computational power in the background think of it like if you're running something on your computer and you try to do something that's a little bit harder well if you're you know sometimes it takes Think of it like you're loading a game. Well, it might take a little bit longer to load the game because there's just more stuff to actually process in the background. So a swap just takes more to process in the background. And so that's why it's a more realistic transaction because then it, 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 it's more representative of the type of usage that exists on chain. And so that inherent number of how many of those you can do will be lower but it's more representative of what people actually do now with blockchains, whether it's a swap between chains, a swap between different assets, an action in game or an action in an application, it's more real, let's say, than a simple transfer. And so this is what people are now gravitating towards that gives a better idea. It's more apples to apples as well, because a regular TPS, well, we see those numbers being inflated. And so there's a theoretical number, then there's a real number. Um, both of them are useful. Obviously, when you want to benchmark, you do want to use this theoretical number under control conditions, but then you users at the end of the day also want to see, and this is more Apple to Apple, great, in a non-theoretical place, in a non-controlled environment, in a real environment, what can I expect? And this is, I guess, what TPS, uh, uh, sorry, swaps for a second is. It's a, it's a more real, it's a more tangible number.
So is it uh, is it a good uh, um, um, a way to rephrase it as TPS is more uh, used in like theoretical environments and time to finality is <clears throat> I'm used to to you to use to to sort of um, check whether the the transactions are actually like uh, uh, engraved into the blockchain in this sense and then swaps uh, swaps per second is used for um, evaluating the real world scenarios. Yes, I think that that's the, the easiest way to put it. Sure, yeah. Awesome. And all of those, basically, all blockchains are trying to compete at those through uh, at those three, let's say, base performance benchmarks. Because then every chain will have its own advantages, its own you know tweaks, etc. Those three, though, are pretty common. Just regardless of the chain, those three things are typically metrics that people can agree on are useful because they give an indication as to the usability or what you can do or how you can use it. So, yes. <laughs> cool. So I think we talked a lot about, um, and thank you so much for, for uh, breaking this down for us and talking about like the technicalities of, um, I think uh, the fundamentals of blockchain. Um, but I think moving on to the next, a great, great, great follow-up question from Nafisa from the live comments is what features are built into, I, I, we touched on a, a lot of these, but if you could quickly recap and, uh, in terms of how EOS can support um, DeFi applications, um, if you could highlight those as well. Sure. So, I mean, outside of, like I mentioned, all the the, the performance advantages and the low cost, right? That's, that's inherently important for DeFi because then you can do more of it. I'm oversimplifying, but that's the idea. The more, you can do more of it. So more applications and just more use cases. Outside of that, then there are the initiatives, like I mentioned earlier, that are either financial or non-financial that aren't necessarily at the protocol level, they're initiatives on chain. They're, they're extra programs that are being run. The, the two essentially that are the more relevant, I think, and, and have a direct impact on DeFi and EOS are Yield Plus and Recover Plus. Yield Plus is a, how can I say this? It's, a, it's an initiative that at the protocol level incentivizes applications to deploy an EOS because they can, from the protocol, receive a certain amount of inflation and or subsidy. And the way that we've designed this program is that think of it like the EOS network is and, and the DeFi protocol or this application, it's like a B2B relationship. So the EOS approach to leveraging and supporting DeFi is less of a B2C, it's a B2B. And so we, the, the network has this initiative called Yield Plus. Protocols deploy their application on chain and they, you know, if they meet certain thresholds, if they, if they meet certain requirements, they get a top up of EOS that is flowing to them on a, on a daily basis from the chain. So it gives them kind of a base of yield that they can provide to their users, right? So what we're doing essentially is doing the B2B so that these businesses can then do the B2C. And this is how they compete. And so you've got a bunch of different applications, protocols, businesses that all have their flavor. You know, this is their products, whatever they're doing. If they can accumulate a certain amount of TVL, so there's a minimum. So this is all about... So the whole point of the program is to incentivize TVL, is to increase the amount of TVL on-chain, total value locked on-chain on, on EOS. And so this was done through research, through academic research, 
from a few teams that got together, wrote a research, a blue paper, what we call it, looked at other chains that were doing yield programs and kind of pick and chose what works, what doesn't work, how can we optimize in an algorithm mathematical function, what would be the better parameters to incentivize TVL on chain. So there's a minimum. So if the application or this protocol, let's say it's a vault, can gather a certain amount of EOS or USDT EOS, thank you Binance for that, a certain amount of, of, of EOS and or USDT, so what we call hard assets, they can reach a certain amount, that minimum threshold, they start to get a top up from the chain, which means they can then choose to either give that extra inflation or that, that extra benefit back to their users. They could choose to use that for further development. Basically, it's on them. They, it's a free market. They can choose what they want to do with that. And then if they, there's also a cap. So if they, if they, at some point, if they go over a certain amount of TVL, they don't get an extra top up. So it tops up at around 5% is the general idea. And where that comes in is that what we see with the target was so that protocols or vaults and swaps and whatever it may be, like the, 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 the product itself can offer in the end between 8 to 13% yield to their end users. But the majority of that comes from the protocol. So the majority of that is actually very stable because it comes from the chain itself. It doesn't come from usage of the product. The delta here, so if the if the chain can give you the 5%, that means at a very minimum, you should be able to give to your users 5% yield. What differentiates then different products is what they then offer in return. So whether they choose to spend that those funds in development and or give it upwards, essentially, is what we see the different products compete on. And this is where we see between the 8 to 13% yield that they can offer to their users. So that's the yield plus program. It's essentially like a subsidy from the network as long as you meet certain criteria. The other side of this, which is very important, is Recover Plus in order to support DeFi. What we've seen in this space is that it's not a matter of if there's going to be another hack. It's a matter of when. Hacks happen all the time. And I believe in 2022, I don't recall the number, and I think this one's wrong, but it's more than $2 billion dollars of value was hacked. And I think it might even be more so, correct me if, if you have the better numbers, don't take this for word for word. But the idea remains, there's a lot of hacks that occur because generally it's code is law. What we wanted to do with EOS is one of the inherent features that we have, like I mentioned earlier, this idea of being able to upgrade the chain, permission structures that are quite flexible on EOS, there is the possibility of the network to be able to intervene when there's an ongoing hack, to be able to freeze those accounts, to be able to pause that contract. It's a function. It's a function of the chain. What we wanted to do with this is if this function exists, let's create a framework around it so that in the event that there is an ongoing hack, which is just a question of when, not a question of if, what type of framework could we design in partnership with the applications, in partnership with the users, so this is opt-in, so that if something were to be happening, that there is a mechanism for the chain to potentially intervene. And this has been used on, on a few occasions. Back in October, Recover Plus essentially was triggered, or this, this program was triggered. There was an ongoing hack on a different chain, had nothing to do with EOS, but that 
I don't recall if it was a vault or it was it was an application that essentially had assets on multiple chains, including EOS. So it had roughly two million EOS, and this got hacked. And so because users got hold of these smart contracts and this code, they could have essentially drained the EOS that this you know, this 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 protocol had. But EOS was able to intervene, see that that was happening, and freeze the EOS so that essentially it saved uh, 2 million EOS, which then gets given back to the, the ultimate rightful owners, right? But this protocol, and, and this is the idea with Recover Plus, is that it's opt-in. So it's, it's an inherent benefit that applications can give to their users. So the users can know that they're interacting with an application that has gone through the Recover Plus protocol so Binance has like Binance insurance type of thing right so there's there's an inherent KYC AML component to it not on the users on the application on the developers so they need to jump through hoops to be part of this program but then what it gives to the users is they know the application they're interacting with has gone through the recover plus protocol so that the likelihood of of something happening is a little bit lower because there's an audit requirement there's you know, basically all of the data is published on chain. There's monitoring. There's a lot of things that are happening under the hood so that should something happen, the network can intervene and that it's the whole framework around that. So it's kind of like an insurance layer. Yeah, thanks so much for that uh, in-depth answer. So the, the question at the start was um, how EOS, um, how EOS supports DeFi ecosystems. I guess um, from uh, the, the takeaway here is uh, two two big programs, U Plus and Recover Plus. So U Plus is additional incentives for the entire DeFi ecosystem to incentivize more activity, and then the Recover Plus, which we also have in the PPT here, is uh, a sort of like a base layer insurance um, to protect the users in a sense. Correct. Yep. Awesome. I get I give the in depth, and then you can do the TLDR. It works really well. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. Yeah, I'm le learning a lot myself. <laughs> Try to try to try to keep up with all this knowledge. Um, all right, next question. I think um, we touched a lot on the base technology. Um, we have a great question, oh, and also uh, one more thing to, to and a great question from um, N Basu Kumar. Um, you you predicted that we're going to cover this, so your question is also chosen. Congrats. Um, so the next question that we have from Azzy7, um, we've touched a lot on like the, we, we, we went from like the EOS from fundamentals on on the capacities, on on the network efficiencies, and then went into like the, the, the um, how, how EOS supports the ecosystems covering uh, um, from, from non-financial supports to financial supports. And I guess this is one of the financial supports that we can mm -hmm. talk about. So great question. Uh, what is ENB? If you could, uh, 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 I think as uh, talk about like the the whole whole name, and then is it launched as an independent um, entity? Sure. So ENV is EOS Network Ventures, and to give background on on what it is, I guess I need to explain what the ENF is. So the EOS Network Foundation is the non for profit arm of the network that essentially is responsible for open source public goods ensuring that community has funding, developers have funding, but everything for, think about it, like non-equity in return. So it's really that non-for-profit side of things. Ensuring that the code base is is maintained, it grows, it develops, and that there's no necessarily direct cost to the end user. 
um, you know, the ENF is funded through inflation. It's a typical foundation, just like other foundations. What was missing in EOS is the, the opposite side of that. So it's the other side of the coin. What about, because we've got different funding mechanisms in the ENF where you, you know, you can access a certain amount of funding, but at some point you might have an application or you might have a business that requires a much larger level of funding. And now we're entering into VC territory. Now we're entering into for equity and return, right? So if, if the network has the capacity to be able to take care of the public goods, the non-for-profit, the open source, what about the other side of that where, all right, now you've, you've have an MVP, you've got, you know, you've got a, a, a workable product. Maybe you've got a proof of concept, whatever it may be. Well, now you need significant funding. And so the network didn't have that capacity. So the EOS Network Ventures is the response to that. It's, it's, it is, is, it is a separate entity. So why is it launched as, a, as an independent entity? Because it's really that the ENF is a non-for-profit. The ENV is a for-profit arm. It's the other side of the coin. So that once you graduate from the non-for-profit side, if there's a need for your business or your team to continuously grow, right? So now we're talking about maybe the ENF does kind of the incubation, the accelerator, but now you're a real company. Now you've got a lot of users, you actually have revenue, and now you want to grow significantly while you need that VC side of things. And that's really what ENV is. And so the network reached consensus last year, a few months ago, on launching this function. It is backed by roughly $100 million treasury. And the idea behind that is going to be very traditional as a VC. It's going to be making investments into teams, into, into businesses in exchange for equity, just like a regular VC, but for larger sums, right? And so the idea is now that the teams or the businesses have outgrown the, you know, what the non-for-profit side of things can provide. And so it's either attracting external teams, external capital, external businesses to come onto the network and, and, you know, there's further financial incentives alongside the management, alongside the extra support. It's not that you don't get the extra support, but we're really talking about the larger financial incentives there. Yeah. So, um, uh, I also showed on the screen here, um, some of the grants, <laughs> so sort of like the grants and the ENF, the, uh, EOS network foundation takes the developers or projects from zero to one, and then the ENF takes them from the one to 100, right? Yeah. One uh, to N. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. One to N. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's a really good analogy. Yeah. So, uh, um, if you guys or, uh, are developers that are interested, feel free to go to eosnetwork.com slash funding, um, to check out the grants and potentially if you are a, a already, um, more, um, mature projects, then you can check out the EOS network, network ventures. And I guess this is something very fundamental. Um, in terms of when people are getting involved in the ecosystems is that whether the ecosystem has funds um, deploying and incentivizing um, the community to grow, to grow with it. Yeah. Um, and I think a great question that I think we addressed a little bit too late, <laughs> but um, maybe we can touch, <laughs> touch a little bit on um, <laughs> um, 15 minutes, 15 minutes in after the AMA. So um, <laughs> I, I'm sure a lot of people already seen the name tag. Um, Eve, uh, or Big Beard Samurai is a part of, of the CEO of EOS Network Foundation. So um, like you mentioned, there are, are a lot of foundations for a lot of these um, projects. So what what is the role of EOS Network Foundation? I guess for some of the users, 
um, that go a bit backward that they know that um, there are there's some history about EOS. So if you could touch a little mm -hmm. bit on that as well. Sure. So, I mean, the, the ENF, the EOS Network Foundation is, is, is responsible for enabling businesses, developers, and individuals to build on the EOS network. Think of it like every other foundation pretty much that exists in this ecosystem, very similar. You know, the, the difference is not so much in what it does, it's how it came about. So the history of EOS then comes into play here. So EOS was launched after a year-long ICO, so a reverse Dutch auction in 2017, 2018. The network, the, the official network, the main network, the main net as we call it, was launched in June 2018. And at the time, the network didn't have a foundation. So when we look at other layer ones, typically at launch, they had an appointed foundation that foundation got a percentage of token supply and that will vary between, let's say, 10 to 40% of the token supply that they received. And that forms part of their treasury that then they can utilize to grow the software, maintain the software, do grant programs, incentivize community members, go on road shows, et cetera, et cetera, right? So the, the funds are used for that side of things. So the, the network does the same thing, but the difference is EOS didn't have that at launch. What we had was an entity called Block One that developed the software and they're the ones that did the ICO. So the funds from the ICO didn't go to the foundation. The funds from the ICO did not go to the community. It went to a private entity, a for-profit entity called Block One. The idea there was they raised a little over $4 billion. So they raised roughly $4.1 billion at the time in Ethereum. And they would be redeploying the majority of that in the ecosystem. So there's two numbers that are thrown around. A, a billion dollars is one concrete number that they mentioned so that they'd be redeploying at least a billion dollars back into the ecosystem. The other is that because they say the majority, because they raised roughly $4 billion, a lot of people expect it as well. The majority means more than 50%. And so they'd redeploy at least $2 billion back in the ecosystem. And there were incentives that were structured around trying to ensure that they would do so. Fast forward a couple of years, it was obvious that they were not doing so. That was not happening. The incentives were not aligned. And the ecosystem EOS was essentially left in a way for dead. And so it still had activity. It still had developers, still had a community, but it was really starved of funding. It had no mechanism to be able to fund itself. It had no mechanism to be able to distribute funding to community members, to developers. Because inherently, the idea was that this entity, Block One, would be doing so, but Block One really did not do so. And so in 2021, so in summer in 2021, the community through consensus, through the elected block producers and, and the token holders, essentially reached consensus on creating, enable the creation of the EOS Network Foundation, which which I'm the founder of and, and the CEO, so that the community essentially that the ecosystem would have a foundation it would have a mechanism by which it could actually do everything we've been talking about for the the last hour or so previous to that there was no possibility of doing so you had block producers that were receiving inflation from the ecosystem at a very low rate it wasn't enough for any single one to do anything we've been talking about and even if they pulled all of their funds together but they're all competitors so that's unrealistic. But even if they did, still not enough to be able to do anything we've talked about because that requires a certain level of coordination. And we're talking about completely different entities. Think of all the different miners 
on Bitcoin or on Ethereum or whatever it may be, um, the different nodes and different networks, they are completely different entities. So for them to work together all the time as one entity is incredibly difficult, which is why you've got foundations. So the network reached consensus on, on creating that in essentially we got our first funding in August on August 25th, the 25, 2021. A few months later is when the network then reached consensus on essentially firing block one. So part of the incentives I mentioned earlier, you know, block one was going to be redeploying the majority of the capital that they raised in the ICO in the ecosystem. When that became apparent that it wasn't the case, it was subjective because they could say, hey, we're deploying and things and it's just not panning out, whatever. Maybe there was one thing that was not subjective that was very easy to see. It's a black or white one or zero. It was whether or not the code base was being maintained. And that you can see easily on GitHub. And during that summer of 2021, it became very apparent that the code base was no longer being maintained. And part of the incentives that were created at launch was that there's 10% of supply of tokens that were earmarked for a period of 10 years at a rate of 10 million EOS tokens per year that were being released to block one. So in November, December of 2021, the network then reached consensus on stopping the payments, essentially firing block one. Hey, you're not doing your job. You're not taking care of, there's, there's no more subjectivity here as to whether or not you're still contributing. You're not contributing. It is a, is it black or white? You're not even taking care of the code base anymore. We're not going to pay, pay you anymore. And so the network essentially fired block one, stopped allocating tokens to block one. And so, you know, this is, is one of the things I guess that the, 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 the network reached consensus on and over that year long transition afterwards is when, as I mentioned earlier, the, the coalition was created, the software stack itself was rebranded because that original IP belonged to that, that company. And so the code was rebranded. You know, the, the, the coalition was formed last September. So September, 2022 is when then the network reached consensus on a hard fork where they are, are now running the software antelope that essentially born out of the community, maintained, developed and grown by the community. So no longer the, the GitHub repo that was maintained by block one that has been archived. It was archived before that. Right. So all of that transition essentially occurred over the last year. And that's really a lot of the work and the fruit of, of what the foundation has been working on, where the community has been able to take back the network in its own hands. EOS really exemplifies this idea of web three, you know, the, the token holders are in, in control. It is a decentralized network and the network really exemplifies web three. You know, when Bitcoin was created, it was this idea of the 99% and the 1% type of thing. And it was really back in the hands of the power of the people with, with this trustless network. EOS really exemplifies that too, because we were victims of this entity that essentially took the funds, didn't redeploy them as they said they would, the commitments that they make, and the community and the token holders taking the power back and taking its destiny in its own hands creating the foundation, forking away, et cetera, et cetera. And so really that is what the EOS Network Foundation is. It's born out of the community. It's a representative of the community. It's got accountability with the token holders, with the block producers at various levels to ensure that the community and the token holders always remain in power. Awesome. 
And I think a lot of users are also very interested in like, I, I, there are, like you mentioned, there are a lot of player ones out there focusing on scalability. <laughs> um, but, uh, and like the, the, the TPS metrics that we mentioned, um, what are the areas that, um, us network is focusing on, uh, for, uh, like, I think, I guess most of the sectors that we talk about DeFi, GameFi, <laughs> NFT, and if you could touch on a, a little bit of those. Sure. So we talked about a bunch of them, so I won't re we um rehash them, right? Um the the ones that I didn't mention that are really important for us and that we're focusing a lot of energy on are essentially GameFi. So if you know two summers ago was DeFi summer and then last summer was let's say NFT summer, we believe that this summer will be GameFi summer or that GameFi will play a significant role in let's say the next step up or the next level of adoption of web two users coming to web three. And so that is a huge area of, of growth for us. A lot of that focus is to make sure that we still have the foundations to be able to accommodate that growth at some point. I mean, I, I hope we're all in this space because we believe this inherent product will be used. I hope that we believe that blockchain will play a key role in our society and, and is it an ex essentially an extra tool in our, in our toolkit of of things that we can that we can use and at some point if that's the case then we're going to have to handle a lot of people and a lot of of microtransactions a lot of small use cases that are all running on the blockchain or that at least leverage the blockchain for its inherent properties we believe that that's going to come the next wave will come through gamefire and so we're positioning ourselves for that IBC is key to that. Instant finality is key to that. There's other initiatives that are that are being worked on that are that are key to that. But a big part of what this also entails for us that is less technical is kind of what we're doing right now. So EOS is one of the longest running chains. It has been live and running now for over four years without interruption. It's essentially 100% uptime. It's never gone down type of thing in terms of reliability so it, it's extremely reliable so with that performance one thing i didn't mention is that it's extremely reliable right you don't have to worry that it's only open nine to five monday to friday type of thing or that when there's congestion it goes down or 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 yas is battle tested just like bitcoin is battle tested and that's one of its you know, one of the the greatest features of bitcoin is just the longer it runs the more value it has because it's been running longer so it's kind of that self-fulfilling prophecy EOS also has that. It's extremely reliable. But one of the things that it did lack, so the tech is extremely strong, but it didn't have the marketing to go alongside that. They didn't have, a lot of people didn't know that EOS is even still alive. EOS, you know, a lot of people didn't know of those, those advantages of EOS because it didn't have a foundation. It didn't have a body that could be its champion, that could help uh, amplify its message. And so the part of our, or a big, I guess, focus of ours is to ensure that the market and users know that EOS is alive. EOS is open for business. EOS has been alive for years. It's got funding available. It's got non-financial support available. It's now making partnerships. It doesn't have liabilities. And yeah, basically it's, it's, it's an extremely strong network that, that has been running for four years. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 there's a lot of value there. Awesome. And I think, um, 
this is also a great question by Rohan. <coughs> We've touched on a lot of the advantages of EOS. Um, you know, the, and you've you've also mentioned like from from the tech to the ecosystem um, to ENF to ENB. Um, but what do you think uh, in terms of like the challenges that EOS might face, um, and how are they being addressed? One of the biggest ones, like I was just talking about, is the rebrand. People have an idea of what EOS is, right? They've heard of the ICO. They've then heard that, and they, they the majority of people don't even know that the ICO funds didn't go to the community or that there was no foundation or there was essentially, they believe, hey, you've received $4 billion. Why weren't you able to produce all of these things, right? It's kind of, it's used as the, the, the expectations were so high and, you know, it was, it was going to be so good and everything failed through, but it's because they don't know that those funds actually didn't go to the community. None of that actually was deployed in the hands of developers. And so a big part of the, the challenge that we face is to educate the token holders out there. Now, those new community members that are coming in, they don't know of the history. And so then that challenge, the same as everybody else, is to be able to gain some of that market share to showcase that you're alive, to showcase that you have initiatives and programs that are there for them and that they should come build on your layer one and or that they, you know, and I don't think it's going to be just one layer one. This is why IBC is also important to be able to link to others. I believe it's going to be a cross-chain world. I believe that there's going to be a, BSC is a really great example of that. EVM is another great example of that. Just opening doors where likely applications are going to want to be deployed in multiple different areas to take care of the benefits of everywhere without necessarily being very tribal and only going to one. And so we face the same challenges as everybody else in that sense. But a big challenge that we face is for the people that have been here from the beginning and or for a very long time to re-educate them and to showcase that, you know, the, the essentially the bad actor has been kicked out. There's a foundation now, there are funds flowing, there's non-financial support that's available, that EOS is still alive. And so it's that rebranding exercise, right? To kind of showcase that EOS never died. It was always here. You just didn't know about it because there was no way for you to know about it. Yeah, so uh, I think we covered a lot of different aspects today. Thank you so much. We're already past 10, 10 minutes past the hour, Mark. Uh, thanks for sticking with us. Um, I, there are still a lot of questions unanswered. Um, we, we, we weren't able to go through all of them today. Um, hopefully sometime in the future when um, EOS has some product updates or, or other roadmaps updates, we'd be, we'd be more than thrilled to have you guys on again. Um, but once again, like I mentioned, there is a, for, for you guys that are interested in, uh, in EOS and learning about more about EOS, there is a uh, live course on the Binance Academy Learn and Earn campaign where uh, if you are a new user to uh, Binance Simport, um, you will be eligible to uh, get a reward if you complete the uh, course and complete the quizzes, which I will um, go uh, show at the end. So thank you so much, Eve. Um, I will go through uh, uh, this presentation. Uh, it goes through some of the key points that are mentioned in the Learn and Earn article. So <laughs> sort of like the highlights. And really these are just uh, a lot of these are hints um, to the prize quiz. So do pay attention. And Eve, feel free to jump in um, if I get any technicals wrong or uh, if you want to elaborate on any one of the points. So um, we covered uh, EOS. Uh, I'm sure if you've been listening to now, you should know that EOS is a layer of blockchain um, that is addressing scalability, 
Eve have touched a lot about um, how EOS worked. I think we missed um, how delicate proof of stake work, which we will uh, we we have a slide coming up talking about that. But um, Eve also has um, just uh, briefly touched on the history, where uh, essentially takeaway here is that EOS Network Foundation is bringing in the funds um, to the EOS ecosystem and pushing the entire network forward. <coughs> so I think this is a very important um, uh, key point that we missed um, for the questions. But yeah, uh, if, if you could quickly go over this slide um, on what is delegated proof of stake or like generally what is proof of stake, what is delegated proof of stake and how is that different? I'll make it as quick as possible. Proof of stake, very easy. It's proof that you've got tokens. It's proof that you've got stake in the network. And so typically proof of stake networks choose nodes based on how much stake they have, right? So the more stake you have, the more chances of being a node on that network. Delegated proof of stake kind of adds one layer to that. You might have a lot of tokens, but you not, might not want to run your own nodes. And so you can delegate your stake essentially to an entity that you believe has the capacity to run successfully a node and to bring value to the network. And so EOS has that as its consensus mechanism right now. Having said this, I do want to put a caveat that EOS is already moving away and has already moved away uh, to a certain extent from delegated proof of stake. Those advantages of proof of stake, delegated proof of stake, we've all heard in 2022 as Ethereum moved to proof of stake, right? From proof of work to proof of stake. And, and a big part of that is just computational cost, obviously moving towards more green, lower, you know, lower electricity costs overall. Well, EOS has had that for, you know, five years, basically. It's had that since it, it's, its launch. EOS is now moving over when I talked about instant finality. It's moving over to something that's even further alongside there, which is kind of based on the hot stuff consensus. Hot stuff is what Facebook Libra had as its consensus mechanism. So it's just in, they gave it like an even further advanced delegated proof of stake. It's no longer delegated proof of stake, but just same type of concept. You can now even break down further the different types of nodes and the different consensus mechanisms that could be used for different functions on a network. At the base though, EOS is still very much delegated proof of stake. You've got tokens, you can either delegate to yourself or you could delegate to others that you see are in a good position to represent you on the network. So uh, I guess for proof of stake networks, just like uh, um, a proof of work or delegated proof of stake here, um, the takeaway is it is the consensus me mechanism for distributed um, systems. And for proof of stake um, networks, especially you can stake your tokens or delegate your tokens to get rewards, right? To get network rewards. Um, you can do so on natively on EOS, um, and you can also do so on uh, uh, Binance. It's important. Um, and there's also a, you, uh, I, there's a there, uh, a synchronous uh, style of validation. Um, if you could uh, elaborate a little bit on this. Sorry for All right, I'm not going to go into too much detail on this one because it gets pretty technical. But essentially, um, think of it like one of the advantages of DPoS or one of the advantage of proof of stake is just faster confirmations, lower latency, and less cost. So going back to everything I've said before, this idea that if you want to scale, the cost of transacting on the network needs to be negligible. You can't have $50 transactions. That's just not scalable. That's that 
doesn't represent real-world applications. The majority of users want to do microtransactions and asynchronous validation and I guess delegated proof of stake offers that benefit of being able to do a lot of transactions at a negligible cost. And that's that's really what it is. So you still have that validation. You still have the the advantage of being on a blockchain, of it being immutable, of it being trustless, but with you know that scalability benefit that, that comes alongside and that lower cost, right? So when I say lower cost, I mean lower environmental cost, lower actual cost for the end user in, in terms of financial cost, lower cost in terms of computational speed, com- you know, computers in the background, you don't have warehouses and warehouses worth of computers, you don't necessarily need that. You still need really good hardware, but it's just not comparable, right? So same thing like Ethereum, Ethereum 2.0, I think they reduced their environmental load 99% or something like that. You know, those are the benefits. That's the idea of, of faster confirmations, lower latency, lower cost, just way more scalable. Awesome. And now for the e, uh, for the native token of the EOS network is EOS, uh, obviously. Uh, and it can be used as utility to purchase system resources, participate in EOS governance, and of course used on the native applications. And I guess this is something that we can just uh, go over a little bit. Um, there's a high-performance high web assembly engine that I, essentially it just makes the network faster um, and more yes. efficient. So EOS is built on C++. I guess that's the key takeaway here. In order to be able to get that further throughput, more performance, C++ is one of the older languages. And so it compiles extremely quickly. And so, you know, Newer blockchains have gone the Rust route, the Go route, for example. And those have advantages because they're easier, um, let's say, to learn, but they also aren't as efficient as C++. And so at the core, EOS is extremely performant, which again just means more scalability, lower cost. That's that's the huge benefit there. And C++ is one of the most widely known languages too, so there are tons of libraries out there. It's a very solid, very old, quote-unquote, language. And so it's... It, you know, it's extremely solid. And with the EOS EVM coming up, um, developers can also use Solidity exactly. and other EVM compatible languages. Yeah. So if there's a wide range of options, but also if users want to, developers want to choose the most efficient one, there's, it also supports that as well. And in EOS, you can compile your smart contracts on Go or using Go or using Rust, et cetera. Like there, so there are plugins or there, there, you know, there are libraries that facilitate that, but at the core of the protocol itself, the underlying chain is C++. Got it, got it. And then in terms of uh, uniqueness of EOS, uh, we also didn't touch on this today, but in terms of like when you're interacting with smart contracts uh, or, or on the blockchain, you often like what you see is zero, zero X and, and a lot of different numbers. Um, but yeah, do you, if, if you want to, if you want to elaborate on here. Sure. So one of the, like we mentioned kind of that flexibility of EOS and that usability or ease of usability of EOS one of the things is human readable accounts. And so, you know, you could have your your account that represents your name. So it's it, it's a 12 character, but you can go lower than 12 characters as well, where you choose your account name. So it makes transacting with you and or using your account 
so much easier because it's a human legible account, right? So the example on screen is alice.gm. So if your name was Alice, all right, you've got your alice.gm account. So when you tell somebody, could you send me tokens? It's much easier than please send me tokens to the zero X, you know, please copy paste because if you make an error, we might screw it up. Just send your, you know, the tokens to alice.gm makes it much easier. So there are benefits there from a user perspective. A quick question here. Do I, is this, is this uh, similar to the name service where I have to buy that, that sort of domain? Um, yes and no. So if you want a premium name, there are ways for you to do that. And so in this case, what we have on screen is .gm. So that .gm is the premium account that in this case, Graymass, it's a block producer on the network, bought. And then when you create an account using Graymass's wallet, you can then choose at no cost in your case, Larry. So if Larry.gm isn't taken, you can take it. There's no cost for that. If you want to just Larry, just the account Larry, there's a high possibility somebody's already bought it, right? So you can't have duplication of names. And so just like Twitter, you know, people have earmarked their names early on, but essentially, no, there's, you know, there's negligible to no cost to buy your name or to, to earmark your name. And if you don't want that, regardless of this, though, if you just want a 12-character name, so it just happens to be 12 characters, I don't know what your, your family name is, but let's say Larry Larry Binance. Let's say Larry Binance actually adds to 12. I think it might. If you wanted Larry Binance, if it's available, you could just go earmark it. There's no cost for that, right? So it's it's pretty easy. If you want shorter names, that's where there starts to, to be a cost because more and more people want to compete for those shorter names. But I guess in terms of like comparing to having to buy a name service on other domains, this the 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 onboarding is more smooth here, much easier it's natively. Yes. And for the majority of people, yeah, unless you're a power user and unless you've got you know unless you really want that vanity of having just Larry, you're probably good with Larry.gm or Larry.whatever that somebody else has already bought. So they bought the pre the 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 suffix.gm or in this case. And you're just good with Larry.gm, then there's no cost to it. It's no very cost. easy, right? And it's it's extremely easy. And you said this is a wallet, um, gray gray mask. Yeah. Wallet. So Anchor Anchor Wallet uh, is the wallet that I encourage everybody to to use. Or I guess Anchor is not a wallet. Anchor is a validator. But essentially, it's an application that you would download in the Play Store or in the Apple Store, the iOS Store. And so it's called Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R. It's a validator. So it acts as essentially your wallet. It acts as your validator on chain. Very intuitive, very easy. There's desktop version, mobile version. It enables you to sign transactions on chain, essentially. Think of it like a MetaMask in a way. The reason why I make the distinction it's not a wallet is because your tokens live on the chain. It, they, they don't necessarily live in that wallet, but this is your the platform for you to interface the chain. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And the next one is affordable transactions fees. And we, we went through a lot of this on how, how, mm. how EOS can improve transactions fees um, through more efficient engines, more uh, 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 yeah. better technology. Um, and, and on that, well, yeah, to add on the, the transaction fees, to give an idea and just of perspective, you can use as a user, you could use the chain you know, dozens of times a day for free. You could use the chain 100 times a day for free. There's two things that are important there. One is that applications have the capacity to abstract the cost from you. So they can pay on your behalf because there is an actual cost, but it's negligible. 
Or if you are a super power user and you're doing thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of transactions per day on chain, which some do, we're talking about sub dollar where it's a, it's a joke. It's negligible. See, okay. Excuse me. Uh, and then next one is near instant finality. So we also touched a lot about this and uh, Eve also helped us break down the differences between TPS, time to finality, and swap per uh, 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 swap per second. <laughs> so if you if you if you are interested in looking at, you can go to the replay. Uh, but um, this is one of uh, the the uh, uh, roadmaps that EOS has uh, with the Antelope. Uh, um, uh, with the Antelope uh, uh, for twenty years, essentially, yeah. So the yeah, Antelope yeah. Coalition, yeah. So instant finality is the one on there that's not live yet. It's in the works, and that should be. I guess the tentative date for that is Q3 of this year. So this should be live in Q3 this year, which will bring down that finality from three minutes down to you know, a matter of seconds. Awesome. Um, and then we have energy efficiency. Um, Eve has also touched on that uh, because of the proof of stake nature um, compared with proof of work networks, EOS is carbon. Um, carbon neutral carbon ne negative yeah 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 uh and so it's uh, um very fast very energy efficient on the and carbon neutral uh, carbon efficient so it's carbon efficient by default carbon neutral is because there are multiple um uh, let's say teams or businesses that are essentially offsetting the costs uh of of uh or basically offsetting the carbon costs on behalf of the entire chain because it's negligible. It, it's it's almost nothing. So you mm -hmm. could easily, if you wanted to make a donation to a uh, some type of carbon initiative and you yourself likely could make EOS carbon uh, neutral. Yeah, that's how low yeah. it is. And when we talked about um, in terms of like the support to DeFi ecosystems, um, you've mentioned that there's a U plus initiative. Uh, so that's a work group that sort of uh, provides additional incentives for DeFi ecosystems. And there are also, also the Recover Plus, um, which is a base layer insurance, uh, essentially protecting users um, from hacks, um, which which is very, very um, regular uh, in, in crypto. And in terms of uh, um, the the funds for the, for the ecosystem, um, there are grants um, that you can go onto the website to, to check out. And then there's also a venture firm that takes a more mature teams from one to um, N. So the EOS Network Ventures is um, a $100 million uh, venture capital fund. Um, and like Eve's mentioned, um, EOS is focusing on uh, GameFi development. So I guess for the GameFi teams out there, this is something that you guys can apply for. <laughs> and finally, um, yeah, so uh, once again, I'm Larry from the Simple Binance Simple Earn team. Um, if you're interested or holding EOS on Binance, um, feel free to go to Simple Earn to subscribe tokens for um, some passive rewards. And once again, if you want to learn more about EOS, uh, go to Binance Academy, um, where for a limited time during the campaign, um, if you are a new Simple Earn user, you'll be able to get um, a staking position uh, or some form of rewards for um if you complete complete the quiz and i think that wraps it up um finally uh, you guys can uh, take a screenshot here 
um, and then finish the quiz. Uh, we will have around 48 hours to finish quiz. I will close um, close the, the, the quiz, uh, I think around 20, 48 hours. Um, it says in the terms and conditions within that. And if you get all of the questions correct, you have to get all of them correct, um, you'll be slip, splitting a prize pool with all of the people who also get it correct. But yeah, I think that wraps it up. Um, thank you so much, Eve. I think we went almost half an hour or half an hour over the hour mark. Uh, I know you have meetings coming up. So any final comments from you? No, just thank you very much. Thank you for Binance for hosting this. Thank you, um, Larry, specifically for, for doing a great job at this. I think this was awesome, just kind of doing the back and forth, um, going into you know depth and certain things that you wanted to know of, and then for you to then be able to kind of summarize it very easily afterwards. I think it's great. I think it's great for the users. Um, really looking forward to uh, what the future holds in 2023 for EOS and for Binance, because Binance is a key partner of ours. Uh, Binance has been running a node on EOS now uh, in the top 21 for a few years. And so just strengthening this partnership in events like this for your users. I myself have been a Binance user for years, uh, my personal favorite um, exchange. And so I think this is just great. So thank you very much. Thank you, Yves. So once again, uh, founder and CEO of EOS Network Foundation, we look forward um, to your future updates of pushing the EOS Network forward. Uh, and hopefully we can get you on in AMA uh soon so i think right. that wraps this up thank you so much guys for tuning in thank you everybody all right bye-bye all right uh